Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, I never <laughs> know how to start this. <laughs> this is what they don't tell you when you start looking up like how to start a podcast. Yeah. There's not a lot of... They tell you how to do the intro, but not like this intro, just the pre-recorded one yeah. with the fancy music. Yeah, that's true. So then you get here and you're like, uh, where do I... Where do I begin? It's really funny. All right. How about this episode? <laughs> okay. We introduce ourselves and then I dive in. Okay. All right. So, hello, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Caitlin. And today we are going to talk about fallout shelters. I don't know if I'm supposed to be excited or scared. Do I make an excited, like, Woo! Or scared like, ah! Well, I'm glad you, I'm actually really glad that you said that. I didn't know and I, I choked. I choked. It's okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm glad that you said I didn't know how to react because, because you'll find out why. Okay. All right. So. I'm just playing right into your hands without knowing. I know. <laughs> it's like we played mind games and it worked or something. 2017 had a lot of news of missile testing in North Korea, right? Indeed. Indeed it did. Kim Jong-un has tested more missiles than his father and grandfather combined. Oh. Yeah, and this puts people in a bit of an ease. At least that's what I suspect is what's happening. He doesn't want, obviously, the U.S. to take him out of power. So that's kind of the, the reasoning behind it all. But all of that just made me... I've always been fascinated with the atomic bomb era and okay. the atomic age. So I wanted to take us back into that age when the race against the Soviet Union was going on to build a bigger and better bomb. The U.S. chose a spot of desert just 65 miles away from Las Vegas to test their nukes on. Did you know about this? So I do know that there was testing in deserts, but I don't know all the details of such things. I had seen a uh, History Channel documentary about it, which is where this all came from, the fascination started. But I'll get into that. Between 1951 to 1962, there were 100 above-ground tests of these nuclear bombs out in that desert. Wow. Mm-hmm. 100. 1951 may have been when the site was built and first tested, but it was 1952 when TV audience viewed an atomic bomb test for the first time on their TV screens. So this is a big deal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wait, but what happens to the, I mean, I assume they're, if they're testing, there's no, there aren't any people in the radius, but what about the plants and animals? Um, yeah. So it, you'll just keep finding this interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> because I, I can't get over this. So, okay. So you can imagine it's, it's viewed in the first time on television. How exciting. This makes Las Vegas an even bigger tourist attraction because you can see the mushroom clouds from the Las Vegas strips. No, thank you. But it's exciting. So people, I don't think people realized <laughs> radiation. Like, <laughs> I'm sure not. If yeah. you're like, oh, let's go look at the. Yeah. I mean, and this was a huge section of desert that they reserved for the testing. But I've, I'm pretty certain on this documentary that I watched with the History Channel, they had bleachers set up at a certain area where spectators could go and put on sunglasses and spectate one of these mushroom clouds. Yeah, one of these atomic bombs. Goodness gracious. For certain, I do know that you could 
by Mushroom Cloud Souvenirs, Atomic Cocktails, and Las Vegas also did have the Miss Adam Bomb Beauty Pageant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly, I probably would have been one of those tourists that would have wanted to go see all this. Um, for show notes, memphistypehistory.com slash fallout. Yeah. Uh, I'm including two links that one of them has great images of what those bombs look like while in Las Vegas. And then there's also, and it's from a shout out to Smith, Smithsonian Magazine, because they the, have this little cool. short video um, that we can watch how much of a tourist attraction it was for Las Vegas. And, uh, and then also included is an article that shows what the test site looks like now, and it's kind of creepy. So on the show notes, you can go and see images of blown up decal or decoy people. And so they just wanted to see what the damage would do to okay. neighborhoods. Interesting. Yeah, so that'll be included in there. So that brings me to what would you do if you were in a threat now? What do you think would happen? Well, from what I understand back in the day, you would dive under a desk or a coffee table. And that would be sufficient. <laughs> but I think that probably was theater and not <laughs> reality. I think people do that. For earthquake drills. Yeah, but wasn't it also like the bomb? Yeah, I mean, what else? But you're exactly right. I mean, what can you do, right? So I guess you go underground if you're lucky enough. That is the correct answer from during this time when people were in fear of a bomb threat. So what did they do during this time of fear? Well, thanks to an Ask Fans article from Memphis Magazine, I learned... Indispensable. (laughs) (laughs) I learned in the 1950s, the government printed millions of bright yellow pamphlets called Be Safe from the H-Bomb. The little booklet was inserted in copies of the Commercial Appeal and Memphis Press Seminar. So that meant if you weren't a subscriber, I guess you're just kind of out of luck. Uh, And all the book did was just advise you to get out of the city fast. You just get out. (laughs) I don't think that's very helpful. (laughs) Well... That was the advice. That's what this little booklet said. They suspected that they could give about a two-hour notice and blast the sirens. So what you would do is you would hop in the car with your loved ones and follow one of the evacuation routes from that booklet. And that was to get you out of the city. But giving a city two hours to evacuate really is just ridiculous. You know, you think about even Houston didn't evacuate for Harvey because they knew that more people could die being on the road trying to get out of the city. And that was a lot more notice than a two-hour bomb siren. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't make sense to do <laughs> this that. This is not a good plan. It's not a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> this is as bad as school children just get under your desk. Yes. Now, I guess if, you know, only a very few subscribe to the commercial appeal and press seminar, then sure, they could get out of the city pretty fast. But if you're talking about everybody who knows about it, it seems pretty crazy. And I'm pretty sure back then, like, almost everybody subscribed to one of those at least. Yeah, for the most part. That was back in the day when papers were still king. Yeah, and more easily accessible. So a new plan was developed because they realized this plan probably wasn't a, a great plan. And instead of running away... The plan is to take shelter, and Memphis set up 279 shelters, with 251 of them fully stocked with food. Special sanitation kits were included, water, toilet paper, and other necessities were provided, but not beds. 
chairs or cots. So if you wanted any of those, you'd have to bring those with you. And you okay. couldn't drive. You would just walk. So you'd walk to your nearest shelter. Oh, like the movie theaters back in the day. Yeah, like walk to, yes. <laughs> but so it's a better plan, but it still isn't great because you're walking and there's no telling how long it's going to take you to walk to a shelter. And then the chances are you get to a shelter and it's all full. You're not going to have enough time to walk to the next shelter. So just kind of a, another bad case scenario for people. Fortunately, no bomb exploded <laughs> in Memphis. Right. So blessings to that. But this was after, you know, Nagasaki, Hiroshima. What I find so fascinating is it's real. Bombs have been ignited in another country and the, the threat is real. But then you also have the excitement of going to Las Vegas to see them being tested. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah, that's a weird... Is it like kind of like that thing where you almost have to turn to some kind of like weird embrace or the humor of the situation because you're so afraid of something? Maybe because you're so fearful of it, it also makes it kind of exciting. Yeah. You know, like you have to accept it as exciting because you're so afraid like that. Yeah, probably. That's weird. Um, but I guess we all probably do it. Yeah. Speaking of weird, I had a friend recently tell me a story about she went and visited the Mammoth Caves out in Kentucky. Have you been there? Yeah, I have. They're awesome. Did you go into a tour where they talked about turning those caves into a fallout shelter? Oh, I don't remember that part, but I was a kid. Okay. So it could have just like flown right over my head. Well, even there, they had constructed at least a section of the caves to house 8,000 people. <laughs> but was case. it sealed? I mean, there are many openings to the cave. Yeah, from what she remembers, they built a, at least a section of the cave to be a fallout shelter. It could serve 8,000 people, and they would dynamite themselves in. <laughs> oh. But yeah, can you imagine you're stuck in a cave? I don't know what's worse. I think I'd be fine to just deal with the radiation. Maybe. Where does air come from? I don't know. It is a cave, so it's a natural wander, or maybe. <laughs> like yeah, but don't you don't you want it to be sealed, right? So no radiation can get in? Yeah, maybe there is enough oxygen for 8,000 people only. <laughs> I don't How did know. these work? I just don't understand and they probably, how they work. They probably instructed everybody to not say a single word to preserve the oxygen. Ah. Uh, yeah. And also there's 8,000 people in a room, so yes, please <laughs> don't talk. Don't talk. Can you imagine how loud? That cave is that echoes. I do remember that. How loud? Where are people going to use the toilet? Like, what? what about when people get sick? Yeah, it's just a lot. Yeah. So those are crazy times. That's all I say. So that's just all my spew about the atomic era or whatever it was called, the atomic age, sorry. And now we get to a particular Memphian named Hoyt B. Wooten, the man of the hour. Ooh. And he would have been just fine during an attack because all he had to do was walk to his backyard to take shelter. Oh. Mm-hmm. He was like the first prepper. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm probably not the first, <laughs> but the most amazing. The grandfather of preppers. The grand yes. He's quite amazing. A little background on Hoyt B. Wooten was he's he was the owner of the radio station WREC, member of the Kiwanis Club, and director of the National Association of Regional Broadcasting Stations in the U.S. In a press Scimitar 1969 article 
from the Memphis and Shelby County Special Collections Room. It states Wooten received one of the first six permits issued in the country to build and operate television stations. So WREC became WREC-TV, which is now WREG. Okay, so Wooten, incredible guy, (laughs) engineer, well-known in the country. In 1958... He pays $12,000 for 27 acres to build a home in Whitehaven on Highway 51. A house was built. Okay. And next came his bomb shelter. Graceland. Oh. <laughs> no, it was near Graceland. He wanted to build a, a, a bomb shelter. It was a boyhood dream of his. And he built it in 1962 at the cost. One source says 150000 Another source says $200,000 to build this bomb shelter. I'm really hung up on this boyhood dream part. Well, this is why I was talking about how fascinating this era was. Like, people were fascinated with (laughs) atomic bombs. For it to be your dream to need to build a giant bunker that you then need because the area above you is completely destroyed, that is a weird boyhood dream, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, yes, I... think so but there is a part of me that thinks i might have been intrigued by that okay to have because especially if you'd seen his fallout shelter spoiler alert yeah i have (laughs) spoiler alert yes well i just said he spent it was either one hundred fifty thousand or two hundred thousand dollars on this bomb shelter yeah that's crazy it is crazy he designed and engineered the equipment of a shelter that was 5,600 square feet. That's bigger than my house. Well, yeah. Definitely bigger than my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably bigger than my house and your apartment and a few of your neighbors. Several other houses. (laughs) (laughs) And this bomb shelter was made to house 56 people for up to 31 days in case a nuclear blast were to happen. So that's the swanky one to walk to. Yeah, you would want, if you really feared... That a bomb was about to happen in Memphis, which as people did, and you wanted to survive, you wanted to live, then you probably would want to be somewhere in the vicinity of his house and you'd want to be good friends with the guy. So you get the invite because I wouldn't be surprised he had some formal invites to the 56 people he wanted to be in there. Yeah, you got to plan ahead. Yeah, I think he did. So one commercial appeal article states the shelter had its own electrical supply its own water supply, its own air purification system, a library with a collection of books, current periodicals such as Life and Time magazines, and Wooten's collection of National Geographics. There was a film library, a pool table, ping pong table, and a dartboard. And that that pool table could be converted into a dining room table too. It had a top. The kitchen was to prepare meals for all the guests and pantries to store food for the duration of the 31-day cooling off period. The guests would be housed in dormitories with bunk beds, separate restrooms for men and women, and sliding panels in the dormitories to provide some separation for different age groups. So this was not your average bomb shelter. And it was so well publicized that it drew criticism from the state-controlled press in Russia at the time. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah. Even Russia had a say. The people we were... What was their criticism of it? It's too extravagant? It was probably, oh, we could build a better bomb shelter. I don't know. That's my guess. That's just based on my perception of what Russia was like during this time. Do you think when people 
Well, I was going to say when people our age really grow up, I guess we're grown, but like when we're, let's say in 20 years, if we were to build a shelter or say a library, do you think we would stuff it with National Geographic's like the school libraries of our childhood were? Yeah, (laughs) right? National Geographic. If that was what your your pride was, your pride collection, like I would probably put Harry Potter in there. No, but I'm saying actual National Geographic's because that's so like, I mean, I don't see them in anyone's homes anymore. I don't think people really get them. Oh, I bet they do. Maybe like older people. I'm saying like, will we turn into older people who suddenly really need that collection of National Geographic (laughs) magazine? I bet so. And we would put them in. Okay, only if you read National Geographic now. Yeah, does anybody? Oh, yeah. I had a guy who was younger than me in college that really liked National Geographic. I mean, I look at it online. I'm not trying to, like, knock National Geographic. (laughs) It's awesome. I learned a lot, and I love the pictures, but I don't have the magazine. I've never had the magazine. It would be, like, for me. There's so many of them. It comes every month, and it's so thick. Yeah. It would be people that just like the quality of it. Like, I subscribe to, like, CA Magazine and then also yeah. Time. I really do like Time. Wow, you get all those Time magazines. hmm Do you stack them up and keep them for history? No, I recycle them. But I keep the ones. But that's what I'm saying. Do you think when you turn 50, you'll suddenly keep them all? Um, you know what? I don't have the subscription anymore. I'll admit that. But every now and again, I'll see, like, a special coll- collector's edition. Collector's edition. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I will purchase that. Like I have a JFK one, a Harry Potter one. Uh, where those are the t- two most recent ones that I purchased, and those I keep because they're like little journal. Like they're they're I think they're good little keepsakes of that time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it sounded insane. <laughs> National Geographic, obviously the place like, to be. Oh yeah, fi- no, all of it. I just <laughs> square hundred square foot. Bomb shelter, no big deal. But National Geographic? Who has that? I like that he has a 5,000 square foot bomb shelter, but the billiard table needs to multi-purpose as a <laughs> dining room table because there's a space issue. Well, in case you need an extra table for the banquet, you know. Because <laughs> I'm sure they had feast, feast, feast. All those canned goods. <laughs> mm. The canned goods. Oh, goodness. Mr. Wooten believed it would take a 20 megaton bomb falling eight miles away to disturb them. That's how that's how confident he was of this bomb shelter. Because the ceilings were nine and a half feet high with foot-thick steel and forced concrete. Water came from wells 93 feet below ground. And uh, there were two of them. So if one system failed that the bathrooms were on, then the other set of toilets and showers could work still. There was a pumping system in case of flooding. The area was lit by custom-built fixtures with multiple switches. If all the main lights were turned off, dim 7.5-watt bulbs automatically turn on, so this way the rooms were never completely dark. And then don't forget, there's also backup candles, which he had installed in the walls too. So there was, (laughs) you could always just light candles. So there was one small room with a shower and metal racks that could be used for storing vegetables or a corpse if anybody died. And so there is a couple of, yeah, I know. (laughs) He played for everything. So when you, if you see sites where it says the bomb shelter even included a morgue, that's the room they're talking about. They could hold dead bodies. It makes sense, I guess. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. And assuming the minimum is 31 days for that radiation cooling time period, then, you know, anything can happen in that time, especially if someone was exposed to the radiation or something. So lastly, maybe not lastly, 
I can't remember. The heart of the shelter was a communication system. As you remember, he's this WREC guy and, and broadcast guy. It included AM and FM radio receivers, a remote control TV set, a movie screen with 25 feature films. Oh. Yeah, and telephones. Why not 31? Why not <laughs> no. one for every day? I what think is... he was very intentional on, with man. the 25. That's just my gut telling me that. I want to know which 25 they were. I do, too. I did, It didn't say. I wonder if anybody out there listening to this knows. Yeah, because here's the thing. People have been in that bomb shelter that are alive today. So if really? you're listening to this, certainly. Cause, because get this. That bomb shelter, he would leave it open for tours. And even after his death, the person who owned it also rented it out for events and tours. But she stopped because... Uh, people weren't taking good care of it, so that ended. But I did want to say one of my favorite details is the kitchen window because it gives off the effect of sunlight due to concealed natural colored fluorescent light tubes hidden behind wooden framework. Isn't that nice? <laughs> so it gave the feeling <laughs> it was daylight outside. You couldn't get that in a mammoth cave, okay? No, you're dynamited <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. And... It made for a great place to entertain 100 people, as we were talking about. He could fit 100 people. So if you wanted to host an event there, you could. I don't know how many people were able to do that. But his children and grandchildren certainly did. And when they held parties there, he dumped Chanel Number no. 5 perfume and the air filtration system so that oh. it got rid of the mustiness. That's pretty cool. And I bet it, I bet it smelled like a, a nice casino. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, like, his attention to detail. Yeah. I guess if you've been thinking about it all your life. If it was your boyhood dream. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's the only one of its kind. Like, it's the biggest personal bomb shelter anyone's built, at least to my knowledge. Do you know what the current status of it is? It's still there. I don't. The last article that was at the library that I could find and even online was like in 91. And that's where I mentioned that they had stopped doing tours because they weren't taking care of it. But I don't know. And then there was also like a, an article from 71 that talked about, oh, like this this reporter was really hopeful that something could be made from it. He thought it had a lot of value. Could be like a underground club or could be like a... I'd just be happy if they opened it up for tours again. Yeah, just go on tours I mean, it's pretty relevant to today. Yeah. Or like, you ever heard of those blind restaurants where it's like pitch black dark and (laughs) servers are blind? Oh, uh uh-uh. Yeah. So you like eat in the dark? It's supposed to be like your sensory experience or whatever, yeah. Like, I guess you taste the food better or something. Oh, okay. But they don't do like (laughs) shoot air behind your neck to make it feel like an alien's escaped? No. Okay. But this one could if if we put (laughs) one down in Wooten's uh, bunker. Yes. It could be be like uh, Wolverines. Wasn't it Red Dawn? Where like the Russians have come to invade and they make you think, okay, never mind. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. But it's very stereotypical of the Russians coming in to invade our country. (laughs) all right so that could be the restaurant theme (laughs) but a lot that restaurant would be a lot more elegant because that bomb shelter sounds fancy yeah well i want to hear from anybody who went on a tour or partied in there or whatever yes amazing please tell us what it's like you can write us an email leave us a comment somewhere you could call us on speakpipe and leave us a voicemail it's speakpipe S P 
E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Memphis Type History. If anyone happened to take any photographs, that would be great. There weren't any in the articles that I read, unfortunately. But I do have a picture of Wooten in the uh, control in the communications system room. What about other are there there are more Memphis fallout shelters, right? There are a lot. And that's how I even got into this whole topic and wrote that blog post for Memphis Type History is because I noticed it at the Masonic Temple downtown. It's right next to the downtown elementary school. Oh, I know where you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful building. And that's when I noticed that first fallout shelter sign. And I thought, oh, this is, I only saw this in the movies. And I started being more observant, and there are a ton. Interesting. And there is some in that blog post, right? Like, people can go read that blog post. Yeah, I took some pictures. There's uh, the church on the corner of East Parkway and Poplar. And the courtroom is also one. A lot of churches are... Does it mean they're just an approved shelter if something goes down? Or does it mean there's an underground area to get to? Because how do you know how to get to the underground area? I assumed it's where... The sign was located because it's always next to an entrance. And usually uh, there are stairs that go down into an area. And so all those places, yeah, they built out like people and businesses were asked to create fallout shelters if possible and to to host as many people as possible. But not not everyone included all those items that I talked about, like the the kits and the toilet paper and food. No, they would have had to because I think, yeah, it's not really a fallout shelter if you don't have things to keep you alive. So they must have had. I, nor are you a very good host. Yeah, nor are you a very good host. But yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> I know also a lot of those um, materials are at the Pink Palace. They use them in their as props in their displays. Oh. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I can't tell you which ones, but... I do recall well, somebody. people just need to go and see. Yeah. Some, well, somebody that worked there had mentioned that to us, that they uh, housed a lot of those utensils that were kept at fallout shelters. But yeah, there were no beds. You had to bring your own bed. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things. I'd almost rather have to bring my own toilet paper. Yeah. It would have been nice if they had like pillows and, and sleeping bags yeah. or something. Because then you just have a bag with all your, you know, your go bag. With your toilet paper and your yeah. essentials, and you just grab it and go, and everything else is there. Yeah, it's like what people, what women do when they're pregnant. They have their hospital bag that's ready whenever, oh, the water broke, or, you know, like, yeah, like that. I'm in labor, let's pick up the bag. So it could have been a fallout shelter bag. Missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Back to articles that we mentioned will be on show notes, memphistypehistory.com slash fallout. I hope you were fascinated by this as I was. I was. I think it's very interesting. Uh, In fact, everyone should keep their eyes peeled because we're going to do another bonus episode this week about fallout shelters. Oh, can you tell us more? Yeah. Or it'll just keep people in suspense. It's going to be a surprise. I'll give you, I can give you a hint. This main episode was about Memphis. But the bonus episode will not be. Dun, dun, dun. That's why it's a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be on the lookout for that. All right. Items of note we need to, I mean, there's always Patreon. Mm-hmm. We'd really like you guys to go check it out. It really helps us a lot. And you can get good stuff for even just a dollar a month. Yeah, just a dollar a month. And every Patreon supporter can also get a discount to our merchandise. Is that correct? Yes, 10% off. Anything and everything. Yeah, it's a good deal. 
Ratings and reviews. Maybe you're like not okay with a dollar a month or more to support the show, but you like the show, head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. That would be awesome. It really helps, helps the show. Yeah. It's it's weird to think, but it really does help. I used to not believe other podcasts when they said that, but it is true. Uh, now being on the other side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and something else, I guess, if a dollar a month is too steep for you, you could just share. Just share the podcast on your social media Send the link to a friend. Yeah. That helps too. Yeah. Let us know that you're listening. Yeah. Also that. Just send us some comments, some emails. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) We sound really needy today. (laughs) This is Memphis Type History, the podcast. We like your type. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type.